Welcome to episode 166 of Stageworthy. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. Stageworthy is a podcast about people in Canadian theatre featuring conversations with actors, directors, playwrights, and more. You know, I always say that if you like this podcast, you should tell someone about it because some of my favorite podcasts became my favorites because somebody I knew told me about them. And, you know, I want to take a moment to tell you about some of the other Canadian theatre podcasts that I love. Because let's face it, those of us who love it can't get enough talk about it. So I'm going to recommend four podcasts about Canadian theatre for you. First, Keith Thomasek's The Performer's Podcast, Tyler Check's Let's Grab Coffee, Chelsea Johnson's Q to Q, and Kyla Musselman and Jen Thiessen's Tits and Teeth. And you can find them all where you get your podcast, and I listen to all of them. Uh, I can't get enough of talk about theater, and I'm sure that if you're listening to this, you can't either. So make sure that you check those out. You'll find them everywhere you get your podcasts. And if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, if you're listening on the web or you just came across an episode on uh, Apple Podcasts, I would like to remind you that subscribing is the best way to make sure that you never miss an episode of Stageworthy. Subscribing is easy. Just go to Apple Podcasts or Google Music or Google Podcasts or, and search for Stageworthy and click the subscribe button. You can also find links for the show at both Google and Apple on the Stageworthy website. And if you feel like dropping me a line to say hi, remember that you can find Stageworthy on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at StageworthyPod. And you can find the website at StageworthyPodcast.com. And if you want to drop me a line, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Phil Rickaby, and my website is philrickaby.com. My guest this week is Andrea Donaldson. Andrea is the director of Nightwood Theatre's Grace, on now until January 26th at the Streetcar Crow's Nest in Toronto. Yeah, so we've been rehearsing since December third. Mm-hmm. We we um, we have we've been working in a way that's actually very conducive to life in general. Well, that's good. Which is that we do. Uh, uh, this might be too detailed, but no. we do um, uh, three over four, mm-hmm. which means that uh, we have a, an agreement where we can work five days a week for six hour days, or six days a week for five hour days instead of doing six days a mm-hmm. week for eight hour days. Mm-hmm. So it means that we can slightly lean out our process, make mm-hmm. it a little bit longer which is way better for life, for parenting responsibilities, for, um, you know. But also as a performer, you get to digest a little more what's going on. It's not a a compressed two-week rehearsal and then you figure out everything, like all the important stuff when you're you're performing. And given that we're all based in Toronto, it's affordable to do Mm -hmm. that. Um, You know, it's not possible... Often when you're doing when you're working out of town for mm-hmm. everybody to be accommodated, yeah. uh, in terms of travel costs and stuff, but it's a it's a lovely way. And I think Nightwood tries to do it as often as they can mm-hmm. because of allowing everybody's lives to work a little bit better. Yeah. You know, we're of course like actors and directors are prepping all night anyway for rehearsal sure. the next day. So to the have more time you can give people, the better. Yeah, yeah, totally. So yeah. it feels like we've been rehearsing a long time. It feels like we're ready to be <laughs> well, setting good. some levels today, that's which is great. It's much better to feel like you're ready before you go into the rehearsal. Yes, which isn't always the no, way. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, but in some ways, like you feel to whatever container you have, right? Yeah. If you have two weeks, you're going to make a good show in two weeks, you which is yeah. the unfortunate thing. 
because it's it is compressing mm-hmm. and in some ways producers always win in that way because yeah. an artist is going to turn out the best thing they can yeah. but you can either do it under better conditions mm-hmm. or worse conditions yeah. so, so yeah. fortunately we're under really good conditions that's good yeah that's good yeah um so what can you tell me about grace god you know i've been worried about this all day <laughs> because there there is some there's some um you know like every show has its own spoilers but mm-hmm. there's obviously one of the big airs of mystery around it is this anonymous playwright mm-hmm. um and uh and the playwright who is a real playwright in in our city yeah. wrote this play and uh ultimately determined that they were better off to go anonymous mm. um, um in producing it right. and as it comes to stage so um so what can i tell you that doesn't give everything away what can you tell me about like just what is the story? What do we know yeah. within the first five minutes of this show? And, and what can we, like, what yeah. is the theme yeah. of the show? What's within the about? first five minutes of this show, we know there's a trigger warning. And okay. so for your audiences also, there's a trigger warning that okay. probably some stuff is going to come up in this conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. We know that um, it's a piece that's uh, written by two sisters. Mm-hmm. Um slightly more co-authored than from one than the other um and uh that it it uh talks about uh a young woman's um sexual assault Mm -hmm. uh that happened in in her life but but is is not about any of the gruesome details about that it is expressly not about the gruesome details of that it's really about this family this four family members um figuring out how to move on and in mm-hmm. fact because it happened in the past they already have moved on so they've they're already quite launched into their true life happy mm-hmm. moving on kind of life um which is actually they actually do have great lives um but i guess what the piece does is um is looks at how how something like that might impact a family mm-hmm. and how in their specific situation they went through that and then also how they come out of that. But I guess the, one of the intriguing things about it is that the playwright herself determines at the top of the show that she doesn't, uh, want to emotionally invest herself in this, in the show itself. Mm -hmm. She wants to be someone who's creating kind of a meta theatrical proposal. So Mm -hmm. this kind of, a kind of untheatery theater that, um, that, for, for which she's as- assembled facts and statistics and uh, uh, other research that will go alongside the project and put the pieces together so that she's m- almost more of a facilitator mm-hmm. and that her sister, who was, um, who was assaulted as a kid, that she has liberty to write whatever she wants and, and talk about her experience in any way that she wants, in a way that she wasn't allowed to mm. in the legal process um, okay. when they tried to bring him to trial mm. and ultimately... Um, the legal system let her down as it does the majority of people. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so it becomes this kind of like really, I think, um, surprising reckoning Mm. for the family and, and actually becomes in and of itself a moment of healing, which I don't think the playwright ever expected in real life (laughs) or within the making of the piece, but the actual making of the piece, um, one of the kind of, yeah, one of the surprises of it is, oh, it actually has brought us together. Oh, this thing that I thought was kind of like a cool project that, that I'm being super sensitive with 
actually turns into this thing where we all say things to each other that we never mm. said um, because we were kind of trying to protect each other. Mm. And actually in airing that, we're brought closer together. And, and also, I think from my perspective, it was actually really surprising in our first read-through that I felt like, oh, I don't necessarily have to caution um, survivors mm. around coming and seeing this work as a re-triggering event. But actually, this is a rallying cry mm. for the survivors and allies who are who have any connection to yeah. sexual assault. Mm -hmm. Because, in fact, the it is actually hopeful in an odd way. I mean, I don't. I feel like in theater, we don't actually always make that much hopeful stuff. And I, I, I think my track record for making hopeful work is like actually not that strong. <laughs> but, but every now and then when I work on a piece where mm. we, where we kind of go like, Oh, this is, I don't think all theater is meant to uplift us, yeah. but I think sometimes it is. Yeah. And this piece is a real piece where, I, where it feels super appropriate and totally unforced at the end to yeah. feel like, you know, you want to hold hands with your next door neighbor sure. and uh, and know that we're all that we're all in it together. Not to be cheesy, but you know, like if you have if I think one can say in this time that if you if oneself if one hasn't been sexually assaulted, mm -hmm. then one in prox pro who's proximate to that person yeah. has been. We mm -hmm. know that it's a majority. We know that we you know I have some like terrible. Uh, terribly eloquent quotes yeah. around um, statistics mm. that 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 point to that, and it's 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 uh, it's horrifying. But we're also living in a very exciting time of yeah. um, of of airing that and kind of like questioning the natural stigma we have around yeah. um, that type of assault, which it's, is so shame ridden. Yeah, well, absolutely, right? absolutely. But it's I mean that's that's one of the ways that the perpetrator of the assault keeps control over the situation because totally. they're not shamed. Yeah. The person who experiences yeah. it. Yeah. The victim, for want of a better word, is the one that's shamed. Yeah. Well, and, the, and you know, legal professionals know that and yet mm -hmm. nothing changes, which yes, is what's yeah. so, um, uh, you know, in some ways disheartening. I'm mm -hmm. a terrible optimist. So I kind of feel like, you know, we, we, we can only hope that the times that we're in actually lead to some yeah. rethinking and recalibrating of, mm -hmm. of, um, of, of how we hold court and how judges yeah. hold court and mm -hmm. how uh, defense lawyers and prosecution yeah. deal with uh, these kinds of trials. There's a couple, of, a couple of things that I actually wanted to pick up on that you said. One of them, first off, that I'm, to hear that it's an uplifting like that it's up yeah. because you know when you when <laughs> yeah. you read a description uh, and uh, of a of a play and it says that it's gonna uh, it's you know dealing with with an assault a sexual assault and that sort of thing you tend to brace yourself for yeah. a, a yeah. not uplifting experience yeah and to hear that it it you know it has that it's not what some people think it's going to be yeah yeah is 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 a good thing to hear. I think. Yeah. For, for a lot of people who might be um, nervous, both if they are, if they're worried about being triggered, but also about, you know, not wanting to leave the theater depressed, you know? Totally. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, it was actually, you know, became very, um, became very obvious to us when we were assembling this family, when we were casting them, um, to be really 
considerate of that. And so, uh, you know, there were a lot of choices that I made in terms of who was who was playing the two sisters, Sarah and Grace. Mm-hmm. Um, but particularly around Sarah, who's the sister who, can, you know, is really the author of this piece. Um, she, in auditioning the, uh, the women who came in, it was really key that this extraordinary person who was going to carry this role was able to both find the care and sensitivity of a family member who mm-hmm. wants to do a project like this, mm-hmm. um, who has also the kind of intellectual prowess to be able to deke in and out of ideas very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the kind of self-deprecating humor around, uh, uh, you know, doing this kind of unusual and very complex task yeah. and uh and also making us making us certain in the audience that within the first five minutes that we know that we're not going to be really uncomfortable mm. for the next 90 minutes you know yeah, so yeah. it was like it was it was extraordinary and we had all these amazing women come in and you know we we could have cast all of them they were all extraordinary but um uh but rose napoli as a writer herself mm-hmm. actually brought um this real ability to kind of write on the razor's edge juggle juggle all those things without ever being glib mm-hmm. and um insensitive to the fact mm-hmm. that it 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 is about a lot of um uh pain yeah. yeah so it is about a lot of pain but actually um but actually taking us through as as a as a guide um when the playwright was writing this play i helped develop this play from mm-hmm. it from its infancy when the playwright was developing it, she, I think it was probably like twice as long as it is now. Yeah. Um, uh, she was actually like quite absent from it, except that she had written herself as a character mm-hmm. in the play, but more so as kind of a, as kind of an outside guide to it, who yeah. would come in with information and, and context and, mm-hmm. and lead us on the pathway, uh, kind of like beginning, middle and end. And in our work together, I was really um, encouraging her to, uh, to bring in a lot of the concerns that she had in in actual life as a mm-hmm. playwright around authorship and around um, not wanting to exploit her family, mm-hmm. which is a, she was super conscious of and really respectful of, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and so how to bring those concerns actually into the work itself, given that she's written herself as a character in her play. Yeah, yeah. So it was really it was really interesting to see kind of like what that progression was for her because she, because she was so self-conscious of that. Mm -hmm. She was so, you know, in her, in her first um, interview to come in and be part of the writing program that I run at Nightwood, she had a a letter from her sister giving her blessing to do Uh the work. So she was super, super conscious from the the outset of it that like that wanting to write a play about her sister's assault immediately comes with a whole set of problems. And uh, so it became actually really interesting in the work to go, okay, well, what if you're actually calling those out? What if you're actually calling out our concerns in the audience Mm. about all of the things that you're doing and actually, um, you know, in your own kind of exorcism of, of why you're doing mm-hmm. this and, and really scrutinizing as, as an artist, why do, well, why do you want to talk about this? Why do you want to put your family's pain on stage? Mm-hmm. Why do you want to, is, is it because you maybe thought you were a really crummy sister? Is it because you were, you ignored her when all of mm-hmm. this stuff was actually going on in her life? And, mm-hmm. um, and so, you know, we don't need to see the, the, the perfect angelic protagonist sister. We yeah. actually want to see the sister who's really 
bring her really scrutinizing herself. So yeah. she did she did an extraordinary job of that actually. Mm. And um, in fact, when when her family came to a reading to see themselves on stage, mm-hmm. um, it was I mean they're an amazing pack mm-hmm. who've endured all of this and and came out to support this work. Mm-hmm. And uh, in, with, with which which they're all interviewed in, so right. all of the text from mom, dad, and sister yeah. are, is all verbatim. Okay, mm-hmm. um, it's only Sarah, our guide, mm-hmm. who um, who uh, you know kind of steps out and has opinions about things right. or reflects right, right. on things or is able to uh, kind of speak with us in real time, mm-hmm. really speak with us in the audience. Yeah. Um, but her full family came, and uh-huh. they witnessed four actors playing them in a tiny little room with no lights up and down because it was a reading at Music yeah. Zones, and uh, and saw things that they had contributed to. Mm-hmm. You know, like so. For example, Dad had Dad had been interviewed, and that was taken away and assembled into this larger yeah. thing, mm-hmm. and then he sees himself being played by another actor saying exactly his ums and ahs and mm. whatever he said to his daughter in privacy. Mm. Um, mm. And so so it, it just feels it feels like we're in a bit of an infinity mirror. Yeah. Um, in terms of those those reflections coming back and forth. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, yeah, and it was so I think even that experience of like the experience of making the experience of talking it out yeah. was something the experience of hearing it for the first time with something and then reflecting together as a family after that experience and then knowing that it was going to be produced. Right. Yeah. So instead of just a room of, you know, 40 people, there's going to be, you know, potentially 3000 people yeah, that yeah. will see this work before yeah. it, you know, could potentially yeah. tour or be picked up by another company, in another part of the country or another part of the world. Like it's yeah. kind of extraordinary. Mm, yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah. <clears throat> one of the things that you mentioned was they had all these wonderful act- actors who who auditioned for the roles, yeah, especially for the role of of, of Sarah, yeah, right, yeah. Um, when you have and when you said that any one of them could have played the role, I'm curious from as a, from the director's point of view, like how do you make that choice ultimately when you have a group of of very talented people? Yeah. How do you how do you how do you narrow that down to one? Because you have to. You have to. That's the that's like the the beautiful, fortunate, terrible part of my mm-hmm. job in some mm-hmm. ways. Um, well, this I, you know just to take it back one step, the casting process for it for the sisters was mm-hmm. um, was very unusual for me. Um, first and foremost, you know we um, in trying to be really considerate about the the um, confidentiality about the script, we didn't give it out. Mm-hmm. So that's unusual. Yeah. Right? Like, how do you audition for a role if you haven't read the script? Yeah. Well, we tried to give sides that were, um, that gave enough information and you kind of can't, you can't really audition for this play unless you start with the first text, which is high yeah. to the audience, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? So, um, but, so we had, so we had all of these, uh, extraordinary people putting themselves forward for roles that they didn't really know what the scope of it was mm. they they had character descriptions and you know some sensitivity um, mm. warning that i think most people deserve um but because they didn't kind of know who they who they were really casting themselves for they knew they were in an age range or should be able to play these two sisters in their 20s um what i decided from the outset was if you're 
if you're applying to an audition, you're going to audition for Sarah or Grace. Okay. So like mm. slash. Yeah, yeah. So both of them. Mm. So um, I had sides sides for Sarah, sides for Grace. And then the third piece was I asked all the actors to create a movement piece that, that used one of the texts as an underscore because I knew that pushing against all of this kind of fact and 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 trial and all of these kind of hard rigid lines that that the piece also needs to really bust out mm. in this really vivid um uh, vivid world mm. and there are these these portions of grace's more poetic prosy texts that that welcome that mm. Mm. and so i needed to know that they could move, wanted to move, mm-hmm. and yeah. and also kind of see what their interpretation of this was because I didn't have, I knew I wanted something, I didn't know what it was, yeah. and so that's a pretty unusual. Those are pretty unusual guidelines to start yeah. um, an audition with, and so you know, person came in one by one and did Sarah, and then switched modes and did Grace, and then did this movement mm-hmm. piece. So I guess you know. Once we saw Rose Napoli, who auditioned for Sarah, or I guess for both, but we kind of went, okay, she's a, she's an obvious Sarah for a number of reasons. Um, then it became, okay, who is, who, who is her sister? Right. Um, and uh, we laughed and thought about it and thought about it. And um, there was something really important to me in the meta theatricality of this piece that the actors make no, um, that we make no effort to make them look like what they're described to be Mm. because the piece one, the piece keeps within the piece keeps reflecting back. This is a, this is, yes, this is based on true, a true story on the playwright's Mm. life, but this is also a construction in the way that any documentary has a lens. Right. And so, um, so it felt really important to me in the in the same way that the character of Sarah keeps reiterating, but I, but this is a play. This is mm-hmm. a play, and in fact, within the play says, "My name's not Sarah. Mm-hmm. I'm Rose, playing a character." That's yeah. so. So it felt really important to me to make sure that the casting didn't look kind of right. I say yes, in quote yeah, in yeah. like yeah. bunny ears, air bunnies, or whatever they're called. Um, and so, for example. So in choosing her sister, I kind of went, well, I really want someone who is not the description, which is a 21-year-old, chubby, blonde, curly hair. Those are kind of the physical attributes that are described in the text. Um, uh, I want someone who is all of not those things, but who is has the magical power of that kind of essence who can play anything mm. who, you know, just one of those sh- real shapeshifter actors. Yeah. And, um, and then I, I was sitting here in this office and Kelly said to me, what about Michaela Washburn? Mm. And I was like, yes, mm-hmm. it's Michaela. Mm. It's Michaela. Um, you know, Michaela, I think she would be okay with me saying this is like, well, she is in her midlife. Mm-hmm. She is not a she is not a twenty year old woman, um, nor is she small and blonde with curly hair. Uh, and so, I, so I immediately got on the phone and I said, "Michaela, uh, are you available during this time? Can I send you a script? Can we meet up?" And we I think mm-hmm. met the next day at her dining room table, and she read a couple things for me, and 
And we went from there. And then I was on the hunt for mom and dad. So yeah. it took me a long time to cast this play. Way much longer than it usually mm. does. You know, I do a lot of casting. So yeah. typically I'm able to just kind of go, okay, here are my top 12 thoughts. Mm. Um, d- depending on the, the thing, I'll see, some, I'll see some others to kind of like, you know, expand opportunity to shake up my mind to to um to challenge myself mm-hmm. um so this was a very different process mm-hmm. in that because it just felt really key to uh to pick one person at a time and make sure that person was entirely confirmed mm-hmm. and then move on to mm-hmm. the next piece of the puzzle mm-hmm. um Another thing you mentioned really early on, going back to these yeah. first few statements, because there's so much to unpack. Um, you mentioned about how you learned a lot. You've been learning a lot about the play as it's been rehearsing, about how uplifting it is and things like that. Has the play changed as you've been rehearsing it? Or has the script remained the same? Or has rehearsal informed the script changes and, and back and forth? Yeah. How's that? What's that process been like? Yeah, so... Um I would say, I mean, I work primarily in new play development, so mm-hmm. I and I so I'm very uh, very comfortable with risk. I will I will I'm I'm the type of director who's comfortable with and bring actors on who are comfortable with um, having lines cut and added up until you know our last five hour rehearsal before opening. That mm-hmm. you know so um, so usually that's that's the lay of the land. I right. would say for this piece, interestingly. Um, we have done very little tinkering, hmm. like like an, an unusual absence of tinkering. I would say there have been there have been some. Um, I would say that the that in this leg of the process with this play, it has more so been about um, because because of some of the trial details, mm-hmm. which we don't go too heavy into and don't get too bogged down in. But the there's some. There's some intricacies where once you start getting intricate, it's like, how intricate do we get? Yeah. And how how do we give people enough to kind of go breadcrumb, breadcrumb, breadcrumb? Okay, I got this. I can listen now. Yeah. And so there were a few things that were based on just the true story mm-hmm. that were uh, a little bit intricate that we had to, you know, do a few a few cuts and adds to um, to make sure we're clear. Mm-hmm. I would say it's kind of been that that. Uh, <clears throat> that teeny weeny. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I, the playwright herself has been in only twice mm-hmm. because she, because of life and logistical yeah. challenges. Um, but it was very exciting when, when she first came in and the actors, I think they would be fine with me to say that they were kind of, terrified and nervous i mean it's very unusual to have an anonymous playwright oh, sure. um come in and uh uh and also to be performing there's a you know it, it's always an honor to perform for a playwright yeah. and to to bring them into the room and you play development and it's especially sensitive when you know that the person who's sitting across watching this run through or stumble through is someone who not only created the thing but is actually in the thing yeah yeah so you know rose is looking at the playwright playing her mm. um and and the, her, you know her family's story is on is on display so yeah. i think that was 
think it was a very sweaty hand kind I of I can imagine. <laughs> I can imagine. Because, yeah. you know, anytime that you are performing for the person who wrote the play, that's a... That's a thing. That's a thing. Yeah. And I get what you're saying. Yeah. That they're, not only did she write the words, yeah. but she lived the words. Yeah. 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 No, it's yeah. got to be very... Very strange. Yeah. And, you know, and from the playwright's perspective, I mean, she was in awe of them. They're, they're four extraordinary mm. actors. Um, and I think because the cadence of the speech is so natural because it was caught from natural conversations, um, even for her own writing, which was curated, Mm -hmm. um, interestingly. Um, But the, I think because, because of, because the writing is of the mouths of these different people in her lives, she was struck by how uncanny it was to see these four Mm -hmm. people who are totally not her family, have not Mm -hmm. met her family, look nothing like her family who are suddenly boom, her family. Yeah. Mm, mm. So that was that was very reassuring. Yeah. Because that would feel really actually terrible to get it wrong. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, mm, that's not my dad. Oh. <laughs> There's a lot of things you really want to have somebody say in that, in that yeah. situation. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so, no, it feels like it's been affirmative mm. all the way along, Good. for sure. So just to, to, to step away from Grace... For a little bit, I'm yeah. curious. One of the things that I always like to find out about is what somebody's theater origin story is. Okay. So, what is it that brought you into this into this theater world? What is it that made you want to do theater? How did you come to this? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think as a as a little kid, I was I was uh, like really imaginative in the way that I think most kids are. Mm-hmm. Um, but I definitely was cool with playing on my own and played a lot of, I guess, dolls, I would call it, though, like any figure could ca- like a pencil could become a character, like mm. anything could become a character. So I played a lot as a kid. And then when I was quite little, when, um, when I was eight, my uh, teacher at school, I grew up in Toronto, identified me as someone that uh, that she thought should audition for Claude Watson School for the Arts. Okay. So. Um, so I did these weekend auditions in grade three, which just felt like fun. And, uh, and as a kid, I watched fame. So I was like, Oh, oh sure, okay, yeah. sure. I'll go to fame. Yeah, absolutely. And I got into fame. Yeah, so I got yeah. it. <laughs> and, uh, then I was just kind of, you know, just being a kid, but being a kid at a school for the arts. Yeah. So we were doing a lot of, you know, it was a very multidisciplinary school mm-hmm. in grade five. I was a visual art major. And then I I started uh, in grade six. I switched majors and went into theater to drama, and uh, and that my so my school went from grade four to grade thirteen because I'm old. So we still had grade thirteen in Ontario. I, I had grade thirteen. Okay. All right. We're okay. Still, we're, we're talking the same language. We're contemporary. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, and then in grade nine, I added uh, dance minor. So um, so you know, I was like. It, it it was kind of like I would have had to do choose something else. But that would have been a bigger decision yeah. to not go into theater than to go into theater in, sure. a, in a way. Um, and then I moved out to BC and went to the School for Contemporary Arts at Simon Fraser, which was a little bit of kind of like closing my eyes and swirling my finger around and going, okay, I'll go there. <laughs> but I just felt like I'm from Toronto. I want a change of scenery. Yeah. I want a change of perspective. And I really did get that for sure. But it, it was a beautiful program that actually um their thrust was in devised work and in interdisciplinary work which Mm -hmm. was kind of perfect for me because i came from holding all of these disciplines but didn't really ever think about considering why one might put them together Mm -hmm. and then i kind of became obsessed with that so i was in my earliest days i was performing and 
creating and directing. Yeah. And I loved directing in high school. Paula Citron, who's a reviewer in the city, she was my, she taught at the school in grade oh, wow. 11 and 12. And so she taught me, uh, she was part of that moment of learning that I like directing. And finally, when I started directing in high school, that's when I kind of went, oh, Oh, that's what's fun about all of this stuff. So, like, it's it's very it's very telling. I always find, yeah, um, like the table work, which is almost exactly the same as an actor that you have to do as a director, except as a director you have to do it for all of the characters. Yeah, yeah. Um, I hated doing it as an actor, huh. but I love doing it as a director. So it's so you know, hmm. it's kind of interesting. Um, but yeah, I, for a long time, I really wanted to assert. Uh, being kind of be doing the perfect triangle of being a performer and being a creator, yeah. mostly as a performer, I was interested in, re- in performing what I created. Yeah. So I didn't, I didn't actually ever, I only did kind of one traditional gig as an actor where you get a script and you do the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, I, uh, the last thing I really performed in, in Toronto, it was, uh, a, a huge amazing ambitious project that theater direct did for theater for young people um which was called and by the way miss and it was developed there were five of us in the ensemble we are co-creators and there were four directors mm-hmm. from the urge collective which is like fides crucker Catherine duncanson linda c smith and um marie jose chartier and Linda Hill at Theatre Direct brought them on to create this massive project. And we worked for kind of over two years in these different cycles of building it. And um, and so that was kind of like, and we we won Dora's for it. It was great. But then I was like, no, it's not. It's I loved it. But I guess my desire for a particular kind of authorship that even as a playwright wasn't quite the right fit for me, I feel like all of that trajectory was about shaping my use of being at the seat at the table that Mm. I am when I direct. Mm. Um, But, you know, dramaturgy is a big piece of that. I don't, Oh, I don't like to do too much dramaturgy on its own. Mm -hmm. Um, Usually I'm, I'm developing things that I'm going to direct. It's not always, but most of the time, but, um, but I do feel like the type of performer that I was, um, the type of creation work that I was trying to do with, Ultimately, when I look back, I think that was all in service of the work that I do mm. now as a director. Mm. But that's always. But directing has always been the, the thing that's really yeah. spoken to me. Because I mean, I know what what you were saying about um, <clears throat> how you were more interested in in like developing work for yourself. Yeah. And and working on that, and that's what you were performing as a performer. Yeah. I've been more interested in that. Yeah. As I get older. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I did a show that somebody else wrote at the Toronto Fringe yeah. last year. And I, because you're saying it was live right I know, now. <laughs> I know, but it's, I'm, yeah. you know, I'm honest. Yeah. Is, yeah. Is it didn't give me what performing my own stuff gave me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I learned a lesson and that's, yeah. that was an important lesson yeah. to learn. Yeah. Um, did you, have you completely given up on the performing performance aspect or is it, Sort of on the back burner for now, or I, did, have you just fallen too much in love with directing? And, I don't think and, I will ever act again. I, hmm. I I don't think I have for over ten years, maybe twelve years, thirteen hmm. years. Um, yeah, there's like the thing that I love about it is the being in the momentness of it, mm-hmm. and the like actually the the communicating that your body does. Mm-hmm. That's actually what's most appealing okay. to me about acting. Um, 
but I have, uh, no, I can't, I would be, I, it, I mean, life is very surprising. I mm-hmm. will say that, but I, I, I cannot imagine the circumstance that I, <laughs> that I would act again in. And it's not because I, I never, I didn't have kind of the moment where that, that I started hating it or mm. anything like that. It wasn't like I got too rejected or, or something like that. Um, I just, I was never kind of, I never thought of myself as like normal in that way. Like I was never, I never wanted, I never aspired to do the normal acting thing. Mm. In fact, I never kind of aspired to do the normal directing thing. When I got, when I, I kind of like, I feel like anything that's brought me brought brought me onto a straighter path has been a kind of an a, a act of semi rebellion or something like even doing the um I did the Stratford um uh masterclass in mm-hmm. direction where you do for 2 years you do the thing and you assist and direct and you do projects there. Yeah. And when I was interviewing for that I just felt like oh I'm just like this badass who's who's like yeah well I've never liked Shakespeare actually so <laughs> here's what I'll bring, but I won't bring that. And, you know, it was kind of this like impetuous Mm -hmm. brat. Um, But I, but, you know, even growing up in Toronto, I never grew up wanting to, I never thought that theater, that that Shakespeare or that Stratford was Mecca. Mm. I never thought of that as the, the, the the thing to be working toward. Um, And then it's interesting because my path has actually gotten narrow, not, not narrow, but, more straight laced yeah. and I don't know if that's just aging or opportunity or mm-hmm. or I guess part of it is like about 10 years ago um uh after I had my child I got I got really sick I had started having all these re- really weird symptoms I don't know if this is going too far off track but um but uh, I was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease mm-hmm. that I have a very mild case of but at the time when I when it was being diagnosed it was like you know, if it's the mild case, then you'll be okay. You'll just have terrible symptoms. If you're, if it's a, if it's a bad case, then you could potentially have three to five years. So I was, I really looked death pretty close in the face. Uh, and it made my priorities become crystal clear, especially as a pretty fresh parent. Yeah. And, um, I don't know. I kind of felt like not stop messing around because I wasn't messing around. All of my messing around was very fruitful messing around, but I really did feel like, um, get, get serious about finding out what you are shitty mm. at and go toward it and, and make it be more diligent. Mm. And so I feel like actually in being more diligent because I was this kind of really, I'd say my work at that time was like, you know, I don't, uh, I don't want to put it down because it was its own beautiful, like quite, like a little bit naive in a way, yeah. but naivete is beautiful. Yeah. Um, but it was it was really rich and really imagistic and really intuitive and really um, unencumbered by a lot of analysis mm-hmm. and um, and wasn't that uh, <laughs> like oppressed by by like psychology mm-hmm. and and uh, beauty was kind of at its at its center. Um, and I kind of went, okay, that's all good, mm-hmm. but uh, where where are you lacking? Mm-hmm. So look at that. And that took me to a lot of like pretty heady places. And it's not to say that there wasn't an you know an amount of intelligence in the work that I was doing. It was just a very different kind of intelligence. Yeah. So I really went hardcore toward 
you know, my mentors then really shifted. My mentors were like Peter Hanton and mm-hmm. Chris Abraham and Richard Rose, who are all these, you know, um, very intellectual, very male, very, yeah. um, uh, very detailed, very analytical people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that the rigor of that was amazing for me. Yeah. But I, but then I came out of both of that, both of those kind of those uh, experiences and went, okay. Now I'm like, I'm just a brain in a jar. So what do I do now? <laughs> I'm just a brain in a jar. And how do I, like, is there a synthesis to find between the two of those? So I guess that's kind of where I'm at now. I feel like I'm kind of going, okay, where's the risk? So, you know, partially in this piece when I went, okay, I want to, I want to devise the movement. I want to be the movement person for this piece mm. because that's actually going back to some of my more, um, kind of truer early yeah. artistic impulses. What if I put together my now big brain that I keep in a jar and my my body? And what yeah. what happens if there's more of a synthesis in that? And that actually brings up these kind of beautiful, terrifying feelings mm. of really truly risking. Yeah, as an artist. Mm. So that that's my story. <laughs> <laughs> when you were, I mean, as somebody who who you know didn't didn't see Shakespeare, didn't like Shakespeare. What what is it that made you go like think about doing the the directing program at Stratford? Yeah, well, at the time I was like, oh, I remember calling Alan Dilworth who had done it. And I was like, Alan, do you think I should do it? I don't know. Does it's not me? I guess I kind of thought um, I I was in this in this kind of mode of like, what am I the shittiest at? And I was mm-hmm. like, okay, well, I'm I'm. I'm scared. And what are you scared of? Yeah. Uh, well, I'm scared of, I think the real turnoff for me with Shakespeare at that time in my life was I felt really, I always felt really reluctant to acknowledge a master of anything. And I felt like it, it, it there, I felt really excluded by Shakespeare. I felt really like, Oh, everyone knows what everything means. And there's this secret language and he's the best. Therefore, if you don't know the secret language, mm-hmm. um, then you're a dummy. And I and I guess I kind of was just like, well, I don't like feeling like a dummy, so I don't like Shakespeare. So <laughs> that so that was for sure part of it. But there is something that's kind of like very instant. Like there, there's that there's the thing that I love about Shakespeare now is actually all the opposites of, of mm-hmm. that. And and so I actually feel like I'm pretty good at directing Shakespeare mm-hmm. because of that. So I guess sure. I, I went toward it thinking like, okay, there's a fi- there's a 50% chance that I will come out hating Shakespeare even more. Or maybe I will catch the bug. Mm. And if I catch the bug, there's nothing wrong with catching that bug. Yeah. I also, you know, was smart enough getting starting to get smart to like okay, well, you'll you'll be able to, you'll be paired with one of North America's finest directors. Yeah. That ain't so bad. No. Um, uh, and get to do a project with company members. And, you know, there's a real... Um, the tricky thing about being a young director, I'm not so young anymore, but, you know, in your late 20s, early 30s, um, it's really hard to, number one, have people take you seriously or have yeah. any money to do anything and be able to earn credibility so those two things are really tricky um you can't work with a cast more than two or three people Mm because how do you afford it so the opportunity of of like going to a place where i could um work with 20 people simultaneously Mm -hmm. was 
was like, okay, that's a big challenge for me. I won't get that anywhere else. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I guess it was, yeah, I was looking at like, what are you, what are you terrible at and what are you terrified of mm. and go do that. Mm. And what's kind of, what's the worst that can happen. And the great thing that happened was that I was paired with Chris Abraham both times yeah. on both big projects. And you're there when you're there, you're there for a long time. Yeah. Like those rehearsal processes, you preview for an entire month. So like the first time I was there, it was almost five months, I think. And then the second year I was there, it was slightly shorter. But um, the first project we worked on was a Thornton Wilder play mm -hmm. uh, with a cast of like, I don't even know, 25 or something like that. And Chris is incredible. One of his real gifts, aside from being a really gifted director, is that he's a really gifted mentor. So um, a lot of assistant directing is observing, which mm -hmm. is fair enough. That's yeah. like, you know, how the, the the cobbler passes on their trade. Yeah. But the uh, he, he really <laughs> behaved as though um, I would be called upon at any moment to step in, mm. uh, whether I would be or wouldn't be. So I had so I sat tensely throughout rehearsals ready to ready to jump in yeah. um, which made me a real ally for him I think but also made me have to kind of play pretend that I was directing the Shakespeare the, the Stratford company right. in this massive production so so but the lucky thing was in terms of working with him one year and then the next year is that the first year I worked on a non-Shakespeare play so I didn't have to face my monster yet yes. um, and then the next year I worked with him on Othello mm. and I got to apply the exact same principles around directing that work as I did to this work which was which actually really um, took a lot of the the scary out of the monster that yeah. I had yeah. because I realized yes there's there's specific language yes there's a lot of research to do as there is with every show yeah. um, but um, but ultimately I think it's still just about telling a story and it's still just about intention and still uh, about people and so now I'm not as I, I have to do a lot of preparation, but I'm not scared of it. And I, I feel like because of because of my roots with Shakespeare, I'm feeling like a big dummy. I I think I use that I use that to my advantage now. I'm kind of go okay. Well, typically for Shakespeare, you want everybody to be able to come. Yeah. You want kids to be able to come, old yeah. people, smart people, dumb people. You want everyone to be able to yeah. take something from it. And so, the kids and the dummies like me are going to laugh at the fart jokes yep. and peeing on a tree and the more erudite scholars who come and want to to really appreciate the language well we can give them that too yeah. so the more and the more the more you, the more you look at one text the more of course references and 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 words come up again and and, and also i kind of call bullshit on the things that aren't funny anymore like well, so I mean, there's, there's that kind of thing too there are a lot of them and you have to there's figure out what you're going to do with them yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, just before we finish off, I want to go back to Grace for yeah, a second. Yeah, please. Um, so you're going to head off to the to the theater today. Yes. Um, Thank so you for reminding me. Just, just like, you know, just, you know <laughs> yes. Just throw that out there. Yeah. Um, and so, this, you know, you're open next week. And as we record this, you open next week. Um, what? A lot of times I'll say, what are you looking forward to about, about an audience seeing this? But I'll throw out another question okay. for you as well. So you can choose to answer either what are you most looking forward to about an audience seeing this or what scares you most about an audience seeing this? Hmm. Uh, I'm going to take the first one. So uh, 
I'm excited. Well, there's a number of things. I'm excited. I'm excited about an audience from from a selfish perspective. I'm excited that these actors get to play with the audience mm-hmm. because, you know, similar to um, like every brilliant thing or or a piece where um, there's actual contact. There's no no one's called on stage or anything like that. But they they do speak to yeah. the audience. That's their scene partner. So. Mm-hmm. Um, there's only so far we can approximate that in the rehearsal process. So I'm excited from the actor's perspective for that. And then I'm excited for the audience to, you know, to feel, to feel seen, to feel like this is a piece that recognizes and honors something that I think most of us have, have touched on some Mm. level. Mm. So there's that. And then, um, I don't know what I'm really excited about for this evening. We have a very kind of heavy tech uh, process that is going to have to happen very quickly. Mm. And my designers could not be more prepared. They're, they're, they've been prepared for months, it seems. Mm. Um, but there's a huge amount of projection in this show. Mm. And it's so, like looking at it on the laptop, it is the most gorgeous thing I've ever seen in my life. So I cannot wait. I cannot wait to hear audiences gasp with mm. beauty because um, it is it is going to be so lush. Um, so... Uh, I'm excited. Well, I'm excited to 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 make this thing that's been so inside my head for so long yeah. to make it three dimensional and to make it thirty feet high. I can't wait. Awesome. Thank you so much for this. Thank you too. This has been a Homebody Productions production.